Well, again, welcome uh, to Genesis. If you would, uh, find a uh, comfortable seat for yourself. Um, again, my name's Michael. Glad you're here. What is truth? Okay, how many people have ever uh, wrestled, or at least thought of that question, if not wrestled with that question, of what is truth? Uh, over the past... Um, uh, 11 weeks, uh, we have been walking through a series called Encounters, and uh, every week uh, we look at a different encounter that someone has with Jesus. Uh, and we look specifically at uh, the encounter itself and the impact that it had on the individual uh, who was encountered by Jesus. Uh, and then we also take a look at the impact that that individual then had on those that were around him or her. Uh, we've looked at some really great encounters uh, this morning, we look at a pretty tragic encounter uh, because we're looking at uh, Jesus's encounter uh, literally the day Jesus died. Uh, he had an encounter with a man named Pilate who served as uh, the Roman governor, and uh, Pilate had a lot of authority, and uh, Pilate, uh, Jesus was brought to Pilate. The Jewish people could not, by their law, put Jesus to death. Uh, so they bring Jesus to Pilate, saying, we want this man dead, you have to kill him for us. One of the things that I really saw in Pilate uh, just this past week of studying and thinking about him is, man, this guy's a coward. And what I'm defining as a coward is someone who knows the right thing to do but refuses to do it because they're fearful of man. Uh, they're fearful of what others will say, fearful of what others might think. Uh, and I see in Pilate a tremendous coward. He was a leader uh, it was a Roman governor, uh, but yet this man was just weak. He was a coward. Uh, he bent to the applause of the people, so to speak. Because uh, as you'll see in this encounter, he even tries to say this man's done nothing wrong. And he says it three or four times. Uh, but because the people kept demanding and demanding and demanding, he grew in fear and fear and fear of what these people might do, what they might say, that he might lose his job. Uh, and so rather than doing the right thing, uh, Pilate became a coward. Uh, but in this encounter that we have with Pilate and Jesus, Pilate asks Jesus uh, 
a profound question, and it's a question that uh, humanity has wrestled with for centuries, uh, for a really long time. How many philosophy majors? Anyone ever major in philosophy? So none of you guys care about truth? Hmm? <laughs> all right, that's all right. Uh, this is a philosophical question. Now, the hard thing with uh, philosophy majors is that what do they do when they discover truth? When a philosophy major comes to, my goodness, I have dis- the heart of philosophy is what is truth to discover truth and how truth works and how truth plays out. So this morning, I'm pretty excited to tell you that there is truth. I'm going to read this story, and then we're going to walk through uh, answering Pilate's question of what is truth. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and flip open to uh, John chapter 18. I've already given you a little bit of a background, but uh, Jesus is now standing before Pilate. I'll start in verse uh, 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate, re- uh, Pilate replied. Is it your people? It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus responds in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate's response in verse 38. What is truth? Pilate asked. Let me uh, pray for us. God, thank you uh, for being good. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for being gracious. God, I thank you that you know every single man and woman that is in this place today. You know our hearts. You know our soul condition. God, there are people here today that need your encouragement, so bring encouragement. God, there are people who will need conviction, so God, be gracious, but bring conviction. Uh, God, we're asking, uh, looking at a tough question that Pilate raised uh, to Jesus of what is truth. God, I pray that by the time we would leave this place, all of us would have an answer to this is truth. So God, please uh, open up our hearts uh, to hear from you. Uh, Open up our minds just to understand uh, what you would have for us in this place today. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so he asks the question, what is truth? But Pilate bailed. He didn't actually stick around. Uh, It was kind of our sarcastic tone. Like, what is truth? You can't possibly know what it is, so stop talking about something you don't know, and then he, he walks away. It wasn't Pilate's last encounter that he had with Jesus, because Pilate actually tried to free him, but he was a coward and refused to. Uh, but the encounter, the aspect of this encounter I want to focus on is the question of what is truth? I have to believe that all of us here have wrestled with this one question of what is truth? My question to you, though, is this. Will you stick around? Do you actually want to know what truth is? Because Pilate didn't. He was a cynic, maybe, sarcastic at best, but he just, he bailed. He he walked out. He left. I imagine if he just would have waited and Jesus said, Pilate, 
I've already just told you what truth is, but let me tell you it again. Will you stay? And I don't mean like, will you literally walk out of this space right now? But will you at least not only ask the question of what is truth, but will you actually stick around to say and to, to hear and learn from God what truth actually is? Not knowing truth led Pilate to make a huge mistake, one that he at the end of his encounter with Jesus said, I wash my hands of this man. Now, it might feel nice to actually wash your hands, but you can't wash your hands. When you're confronted with truth, like Pilate was, you are really ultimately confronted with two options. I will receive truth and allow that truth to shape me as a man and shape how I live. Option one or option two is I will reject the truth and allow lies to shape who I am and how I live my life. Now, I realize that most people, anytime you even start talking about truth, it gets really uncomfortable, especially when you start talking about there's only one truth, there's only two options, you either receive it or you reject it. Some of you here might be like, I get that, I'm okay with that. Some of you might be, that is, that's not possible that someone could actually claim that there is one truth and we have a choice, receive or reject. Well, I will be as hopefully crystal clear as I possibly can, but I want to say, yes, there is truth. There is absolute truth. There is objective truth. There is one truth that is true for all of humanity. Now, my heart today is not to make a philosophical argument to you. My heart today is just consider Jesus. Consider what Jesus said to Pilate specifically. We're looking at this one encounter that Jesus had. But I am here to tell you that I believe with all of my heart, I'd live and die for this, that there is one truth that is true for all of humanity, not just certain people in humanity, but for all of humanity. And it's a truth that can absolutely be known. Now, if I were to say that maybe at Harvard, in a classroom, I don't know if they would throw something at me, but I'm sure people would either probably start swearing and walk out. Now, why is it, whether it's at a university setting, if someone claims that there is an absolute objective truth, uh, that people kind of freak out by that? I wanted to give real quick just three thoughts on why we have such a hard time with even talking about the truth and even hearing someone say that there is an absolute truth that is true for all of humanity. And here's three reasons why I think we have a hard time with it. Number one would be choice. We are a culture that loves choice. Do not tell me I can only choose this or that. I like choices. I don't even want to make choices, but I like to know that I have multiple choices that I can make. Don't tell me that there is only one way. Now, by raising your hand, how many people have been to Starbucks? Okay. We'll talk about caffeine addiction in the coming weeks. When I, I don't drink coffee, um, but when I go to Starbucks to get coffee for my wife, I would think, I just want a coffee. Coffee's coffee. Just put it in a cup, make sure it's hot, and I can go on my merry way. But when I go to Starbucks to order something for Kyla, it is a grande, grande, half-calf, non-fat, toffee nut, no-whip latte. 
I don't even know what that is, but she's got the choice to include all of those things in a coffee. I don't even know if it's coffee after it's done. It's just stuff in a cup. How many people have ever been to Build-A-Bear? Okay. Don't go. If you work at Build-A-Bear, I apologize, but they overcharge like crazy. I took my daughter there for just a daddy date thinking it would be fun. You know, five bucks, we make a bear. And like 50 bucks later, I didn't even like the bear we walked out with. But back in the day, you just walked into a store and you get a bear. They look the same. There's not many options. There's just, you want a bear? You go get a bear. But at Build-A-Bear, well, what do you want it to look like? What color hair? What color eyes? Do you want it to have eyebrows? Do you want them long eyebrows, short eyebrows? What color hair would you like this bear to have? Now, we haven't even gotten to the accessories of, do you want socks? Do you want pants? Do you want a short sleeve shirt? Do you want it to have a tie on? If it's a girl, the options are endless, especially when it gets to shoes. So before you know it, you walk out of Build-A-Bear with this creature that doesn't even really resemble a bear. It looks like a mini human. My question was, why do we have such a hard time talking about truth? We are a culture that loves choices. And we love choice over truth. Don't tell me that there is just one truth. I want choices. I want options. Buddha taught that there were 84,000 different paths to enlightenment. Now, it seems crazy to me to believe that 84,000 roads all going in different directions would eventually lead to the same place. But this culture of pluralism, this is the message that it loves to promote. And the reality is we don't even have to choose one or the other. We have now gotten to the point where, well, I like a little bit of that. I don't like all of it, but I like this. I like a little bit of that in my, my Christianity. I like a little bit of that in my being Hindu. And we just pick and choose. It's a customized faith. It's Build-A-Bear faith. It's Starbucks faith. It's Homer Simpson faith, okay? This is what Homer Simpson said when he was getting ready to, to pass. I know he's still alive, but I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. Now, it gets a laugh, at least when it was aired. It, it makes, it's funny, but it's really sad. Homer, in the moment of his death, is, man, he starts to realize, I realize I have to choose one. I don't know which one to choose, so I hope I've appeased all of them enough. Now, one major consequence, by the way, of a culture that seems to thrive on choice, you believe whatever you want to believe, it's okay, uh, is there's no common ground. In a culture that loves choice, there's no common ground. So when truth is whatever you want it to be, a very real consequence is that there is a culture of distrust. And where there's a culture of distrust, there's no community. You can't have community with other people that you ultimately don't trust. If people in the community are picking and choosing what is good for them, it may not be good for you, but it's good for them. It's true for them, might not be true for you. Well, how could you possibly trust anyone? When you really think that people are first bent on serving themselves, taking care of themselves. I'm not going to trust that person. So choice. It's got many consequences, but one of the reasons we have a hard time talking about truth 
is because we love choice. A second reason why we have a hard time talking about truth is change. We live in a culture that does not want anyone to tell us that we need to change. It's all under the banner of tolerance, but you know what tolerance really is a mask for? Tolerance is a mask for a convenient cover of just selfish, sinful living. Because if I don't have to say this is the truth, this is one truth, not just true for me, but true for all of us. If I'm of the mindset that I can have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, well, then I never really have to be confronted with, I need to change. Well, I like Jesus. He talked a lot about love. I'll pick the passages that deal with love. But when Jesus talks about hell, when Jesus talks about repentance, when Jesus, well, I don't need to pick that. And so we don't like talking about truth because truth confronts us with you might need to change. Meaning you can't go on whatever's best for you making life about you. I think a third reason why we have a hard time with truth is it's really dangerous. What if the one who is proclaiming and saying to the world, I have the truth, this is the truth, that's true for everyone. Well, what if that person is evil? What if that person is wicked? What if that person is saying something of, I've, I've found truth, I know what the truth is, but really it's just masked under, they're power hungry. They're just trying to advance, make more money. They're just trying to make a name for themselves. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list of why we as a people have a hard time talking about truth. But choice, uh, secondly, change. Thirdly, it's dangerous. Could be a much longer list, uh, obviously. But I want you to also know, just because it's hard talking about truth, just because it might be uncomfortable for you to hear that there is one truth, an absolute truth that is true for all of humanity, not just some people, just because you don't like it or agree with it <clears throat> doesn't mean it's not true. I think sometimes people in culture, people in the church think, well, if I just don't believe it's true, then it nullifies it to be true because it's not true for me. This morning, we're looking at Pilate because Pilate was confronted. He was standing right in the face of, of Jesus, and he asked Jesus the question, what is truth? Now, I'm going to go through this. I'd encourage you to write some of this down. I'll put some of it up on the screen. But I wanted you to know, we're looking at one instance, one conversation of truth. But if you were to do a study of Scripture, uh, Scripture has so much to say about truth. This is at best a snapshot of what Scripture says about truth. Truth comes to us, okay? John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. Truth comes to us. Secondly, we will be guided into truth by the spirit of truth. John 16 says this, but when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. Thirdly, truth can be known, and the truth will set you free. It's a very popular verse that universities used to have all over. This is who we are as a school. John chapter 8, verse 31, 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Bless you. 
Verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We can know truth. And if you know truth, the consequence, the impact, the effect is you'll be free. Specifically free from yourself, free from sin, free from selfish living, free from wandering of hopping around from lie to lie to lie. If you know the truth and it can be known, it will set you free. Here's a few more. I'm not going to read all the verses, but truth leads to godly living. Truth, it can be suppressed or it can be rejected. Truth, it can be ignored, distorted, and wandered away from. Truth, you can love it. Truth can be wrapped around us. It literally covers us. We can be in the truth and have the truth in us. A few more. Truth will be with us forever. It's not something that will fade. Truth will be with you, with me, forever. Truth shapes how we live, meaning how we walk. We can walk in truth. Now, let me ask this question. Have you ever wondered what God's desire for you really is? I think all of us have. Maybe some of you are still wondering, God, what do you really want for me? I'm not talking about a plan. Should I be with him? Should I be with her? Should I work here? Should I not work here? But if you were to nail down, what does God really want for you? What is his desire? Well, guess what? Scripture answers that question. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 teaches God desires that all men come to know the truth. This is 1 Timothy. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So what is God's desire for you? Salvation. Salvation is tied that you would know the truth. So you can walk out of here today knowing, wow, I now know what God wants for me. He wants me to have the knowledge of the truth. Now, some of you might be disappointed, be like, that's it? That's all God wants for me? Do you know that if you know the truth, the truth will then just shape everything else for you? Well, what about this? And what am I supposed to go here? And what about her? What about him? What about this or that? If you know the truth, the truth will shape all of you and all of where you are to go. God's desire for you is that you would know the truth. Give you one more. Truth, it's a person. I think when we think about truth, we think of abstract ideas or concepts, philosophical constructs. Truth in Scripture is a person. It is a man, and it's Jesus. This is what Jesus says himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you know what Jesus did right there? Is you can have a relationship, not with an idea, not with a concept, but you can have a relationship with truth, a person. Now, the Bible makes clear that truth is not just a concept. Truth is revealed to us, uh, Jesus, the person. Now go back to Pilate. He's standing before Jesus. And Pilate looks at Jesus after this conversation, and he says, Jesus, what is truth? I don't know about you, but I would have loved to bend there and be like, dude, open your eyes. You're standing right in front of truth with a capital T. How could you not see? How could you not hear? He's 
You can touch him. You can feel him. You're conversing with him. Pilate asks the question. Talk about missing the mark. Well, Jesus, what is truth? Well, I want to walk through just a few verses uh, in this encounter that Pilate had with Jesus because Jesus actually had already answered the question. If Pilate would have been half paying attention, it was early in the morning, so maybe he hadn't gone to Starbucks yet. But Jesus had already revealed to him what truth is, and he missed it. Go back to verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate asked Jesus twice, Are you the king? It's funny when I meet people and they ask me what I do, and I'm, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. You? They look at me, really? No, seriously, you're, really? You're a pastor? This is kind of the nuance here for Pilate to Jesus. You're a king? You don't look like a king. You, really, you are a king? Are you kidding me? How could you possibly think you're a king? It goes on in verse 35. Uh, Jesus responds to him uh, in verse 34, sorry. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Now, this is a really great question that Jesus asks because he's trying to discern, Pilate, are you really wanting to know who I am? Or are you just repeating and regurgitating what you've heard someone else say? Do you really want to know if I'm the king? Or are you just, just repeating some other information someone gave you? Well, verse 35, Pilate gets a little upset. Am I a Jew? Now, you have to understand, Jews and Pilate specifically, they did not like each other. They actually hated each other. So Pilate is disgusted with this question from Jesus. Like, could you, do you really think I'm a Jew? Look at me. I'm not a Jew. I'm not one of those. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people, Jesus. It was your chief priest who handed you over to me. And then Pilate probably asked the most sincere question here because he was sarcastic in what is truth. His sincere question is, what have you done? Like, why are you here? Why are you standing before me and I'm supposed to decide whether they can put you to death or not? Jesus, what have you done? This is Jesus' opportunity to speak up and say, I've done nothing. I've been wrongly accused. They falsified reports about me. They have no proof. They have no evidence. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't defend himself. You know what Jesus does? Jesus says, Pilate, I'm going to teach you truth. And I really want you to catch these next few verses because this is the answer to what is truth. Verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate, again, you, you you're a king. You don't look like much. You're not the most impressive king I've ever seen, said Pilate. And Jesus answered in verse 37, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth 
listens to me. Now, I want you to know if someone ever asked you, well, what is truth? Rather than getting into some long philosophical banter of back and forth, read John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37, because Jesus answers what truth is. Did you catch what it is? The truth. This is the truth that Jesus is king. If you want to know what the truth is, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Few things that Jesus reveals just in these few short verses. Jesus is king and his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus goes on to say, I have servants. They're ready to fight for me. But this is not my kingdom. This is not my place. Jesus goes on to say, I came to actually testify or bear witness to this truth of where I've come from. I was born for this reason, to testify to the truth that I am a king of another kingdom. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, this is kind of disappointing. I thought I was going to hear a a greater statement or argument or, or philosophical thought on what is truth. You want to know what the truth is? The truth is Jesus is king. And he's got a kingdom and he rules over that kingdom. This is the truth that if you were embrace that truth, it will shape all of who you are and shape exactly how you are to live. The truth is Jesus is king. Now, Jesus puts before Pilate a decision. Did you catch what the decision was? Verse 37, towards the end. For this reason, I came into the world to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Pilate, which team are you on? Are you on team truth? Or are you on team, I'll just believe any lie that sounds good and makes me feel good at the, at the day? Which team are you on, Pilate? Anyone on the side of truth, what did Jesus say? Listens to who? To the truth. Listens to Jesus because truth is a person, not just an abstract concept or idea. Pilate, whose side are you on? Team truth or team just believe whatever the heck you want to believe. Now, why did Pilate miss it? Why did he hear the same thing that you and I are hearing? And why did Pilate's response to Jesus, well, what is truth? How could he hear what Jesus just said and not come to the conclusion of, I understand truth? Well, I think he probably looked at Jesus and didn't take him all that seriously. Why? Well, because Jesus didn't look like a king. It seems at best odd that someone who doesn't look like a king is talking about a kingdom that's not of this place. You see, in Rome, it is punishable by death. If there is a threat to Caesar, if there is a threat to Uh, someone claiming that they're a king, that they're a ruler, that's sedition, punishable by death. Now, why didn't Pilate just put Jesus' death right there for sedition against Caesar, against Rome? Well, because I think he looked at Jesus and said, man, you're kind of a joke. You're a king of another kingdom. Ooh. I think he looked at Jesus and he didn't take him serious. Now, my challenge to you, uh, to myself, do you really take Jesus serious? 
Because if you do, he's king. And he's ruler of a kingdom. Now, let me ask maybe this question, and hopefully it will be helpful. Because uh, I realize when you read this, you're like, this is strange. What if, sounds like an alien coming to visit the planet, talking about his alien planet that's, I get that it sounds a bit strange. And you're like, this talk of kings and other kingdoms just sounds like a fairy tale. But a question that I would ask you is this. Have you ever wondered to yourself why you struggle to feel satisfied? Have you ever wondered why you've battled with this thought of it just doesn't seem to be enough? And you might have the guy, the girl, the husband, the wife, the kids, the home, the money, the bank, the job, the career, the notoriety. You might have all of that. You might have just half of that, a little bit of that. But have you ever wondered why you always have that just, it just doesn't feel like enough. I don't feel really satisfied. I have everything that I thought I wanted, but yet I, I just don't feel satisfied. If you've never read C.S. Lewis' um, Mere Christianity, a uh, super helpful book, a uh, super helpful book, and he says this, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So maybe this talk of a king of another kingdom is not that crazy. Maybe the reason that you don't feel satisfied, don't feel, uh, feel fulfilled, is because maybe you were not made for this place. I don't think I would have to really convince anyone that this world is pretty messed up. So much evil, so much hurt, so much pain, so much disappointment. I don't have to convince you that that's a true statement. Just open your eyes and see the hurt, the brokenness, the division, the pain. So I don't have to convince you that this is a fallen place, a fallen world. And what I love about the quote uh, from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity is it poses the question of, well, maybe I wasn't made for this place. Now I will take you back to the garden because in the garden was a man named Adam and his wife named Eve. They were created by God for God to live in a perfect relationship with God. And they lived in a perfect place called Eden. But one day, Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God. God had put before them what he desired for them to do, and they said, no, we're going to do our thing. And the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled against truth, rebelled against God, the world fell. They fell and the world fell. And we've been feeling the consequences of it ever since. Like I've already said, I don't need to convince you that this is a fallen world. But what I would want to compel you to consider is that maybe, just maybe, this is not the world you were created to live in. Maybe what Jesus is talking about as truth is that he is a king of another kingdom. And Jesus speaking to Pilate of why I have come is to tell people that have been created by God for God that there is another place. Of, it's perfect. It's Eden. <clears throat> it's God's kingdom. Excuse me. Did you catch why 
Jesus said to Pilate, Pilate, this is why I came. This is why I was born into this world. This is why I was sent to testify to the truth. I am a king of another kingdom. And I've come to take people to that kingdom where there is no sin. It is not fallen. It is not broken. It is not divided. There is no evil there. That is the truth. Jesus is a king. And he's a king of a perfect kingdom. And Jesus, because he loves you, because he loves me, came so that you and I would be able to go to this kingdom with him when we die. I want to be clear, as clear as I possibly can, what Jesus said. And I've already read this verse, but John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way, there's one truth, there's one life. If you believe upon Jesus, the truth, the person, the man, God in flesh, king of kings who came for you to take you to be with him forever in paradise in his kingdom. Well, we're confronted again with truth. If that is true, and I will, I stake my life on that, that this is truth, that Jesus is king of another kingdom, then you've got to choose. Do you receive that as truth, not just as your truth, but do you receive that as the truth, not just something that might be good for you, but not for the person sitting next to you? You either receive this as the truth, an absolute objective truth, true for you and all of humanity, or you reject it. The Apostle John, uh, Disciple John, said this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Talking about Jesus here. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Do you want to know what happens to you when you die? You will either be with God in God's kingdom where Jesus is king, or you won't. Well, the truth is Jesus. Jesus is truth. You either have truth or you don't have truth. The consequence of having truth, paradise, kingdom, with God forever, in a perfect place, no sin, no division, no brokenness, no hurt, no pain, no tears. If you accept that truth. Now, it would be easy to say, well, I don't accept that truth. Therefore, because I didn't accept that truth, there's no consequence for me. Well, I will warn you, I will tell you, there is a consequence for rejecting the truth. Not just a truth, the truth. The consequence, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If you reject truth, truth is a person not an idea. If you reject truth, Jesus as king of another kingdom, you stand alone before God and God's wrath is upon you forever. If you receive truth, you have life. If you reject truth, now just change the words. If you receive Jesus, if you receive truth, life. If you reject it, God's wrath remains on you forever. Mean you are left to pay the consequence, the penalty of your sin against a holy God in a place called hell, which is hot 
It burns forever. That is truth, absolute truth for all of humanity. John says this again in chapter 1. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'll just ask you, maybe as clear as day, are you a kid of the king? Because if you have received truth, then you're a kid of the king, a son or a daughter of the king. But if you've not received truth, absolute truth, the person, the God-man Jesus, you're not a kid of the king. See, this is a message the culture has a really hard time. No, give me more choices. I want more grande, more half-calf, more non-fat, more toffee nut, no whip or more whip. I want more junk in my cup, so please give me more choices. You either know the son or you don't know the son. If you do, you know truth. And if you know truth, you're a kid of the king. I would implore you today, if you don't know truth, if you have not received truth, if you have not accepted truth, why would you walk out of here today like Pilate did? And just, I'll wash my hands of this. The consequences are too great. Now, I want to just finish... um, But these uh, very quick thoughts of how do I live life actually in light of this truth? If I embrace Jesus as truth, as the truth, the only truth, how do I actually orient my life around this truth? Well, I'm going to give you three. I encourage you to write these down. It'll be very quick. Number one, follow the truth. If you have embraced Jesus as truth, Not just your truth, but the truth. Number one, follow the truth, meaning follow Jesus wholeheartedly, meaning orient your entire existence around his, meaning your values, your priorities, your time, your finances, your relationships, all of you, orient it around the truth. Now, here's a maybe a hard question. If someone were to watch you for a week, observe your thoughts, Observe your actions, observe your conversations, observe all of you. At the end of the week, what conclusion would be made about the truth you believe? Because you just you have to just watch someone on how they live, how they think, how they talk, how they spend their time, how they spend their money. You just have to watch someone, not even for a week, to realize that's the truth they believe. That's what they've given themselves over to. So what is the truth that you've given yourself over to? If it's Jesus as the truth, not just your truth, but the truth, follow Jesus with all of you, all of the time. No breaks, no light switch that goes on and off. If you receive the truth, you follow the truth. A.W. Tozer said this, truth divorced from life is not truth in its biblical sense, but something else, something less. If the truth that you claim to believe is not shaping you as a man or a woman, as a mom or dad, as a husband or a wife, as a friend, as a brother, as a sister, as a worker. Do you really believe the truth? Number two, I'm going to give you just three here. So this is number two. Follow the truth. Number two is love the truth. 
For those of you who are married, you might be familiar with this uh, language of love language, Uh, but uh, there's a book called The Five Love Languages where it walks through uh, how to love your spouse in the language that they understand and receive love. Well, do you know what Jesus' love language is? It's worship and obedience. If you want to demonstrate that you love the truth, truth is a person, it's a man. If you love the truth, if you love Jesus, worship and obedience all the time. Your life is just one ongoing song of worship. And I'm not talking about you literally just are walking around singing all the time, but your life in response is just constant adoration, constant praise, constant worship. And when Jesus asks you to do something, if you want to communicate love to Jesus, that you love him, you love the truth, you'll be obedient no matter what it is. His love language is love, uh, is worship and obedience. Now, I've, I spend a lot of time with different uh, couples, and some in here, some not in here. Uh, but I always give the husband a hard time. If you really know what your wife's love language is, and you refuse to love your wife in that way, you are a cruel man. If you know that she receives love in this way, but you're too stinking selfish to love her in that way, you are a cruel man. I would say the same. If we know that Jesus' love language is worship and obedience, that's how we can communicate, Jesus, I love you. I love the truth. We're cruel. How do I live my life in light of truth? Well, follow the truth, number two. Love the truth. And number three, finish with this one. Speak of the truth with absolute urgency. If you were on a cliff with a blind man and he was getting a little bit closer to the cliff and he didn't even know he's on a cliff and he says, hey, where do I go? If you didn't tell him, man, two steps away, you're going to fall and you're going to die. Would you do that? Would you look at that man and say, hey, keep going? I hope it turns out well for you down there. I think most of us would say, sir, you are two steps away from plunging to your death. Stop where you are, turn around, and go in the other direction. Better yet, grab my hand, and I will take you there. I think most of us get that concept of me and a blind man on a cliff. We'd stop him. We'd do whatever we possibly could. How about this? If you discovered the cure for cancer. You had it. You could cure all cancer. Would you keep that to yourself? Or would you not go out and tell people, I've got the cure for cancer. Come, it is here. I give it to you freely. I think most of us would say, anyone who, it's yours. I freely give it to you. These are just maybe at best silly examples. But if you know something to be true, you speak of it. Often with great urgency. I couldn't get the, uh, the picture of the dude on the cliff out of my head. I just wouldn't let him fall. Now maybe you would, and then I'd come up behind you and push you off. But <laughs> I just, I couldn't imagine if the guy actually said, 
Where should I go? I tell him to stop walking in the, towards his death. I get that. Now, if I really believe Jesus as truth, that in Jesus is life, in Jesus is freedom, in Jesus I can be a kid of the king, why don't I tell people that? Why don't you tell people that? The question was, how do I live my life in light of this truth? I follow the truth, I love the truth, and I speak of the truth. This is... um, The truth, Jesus is king. He's king of another kingdom. And Jesus loved you and me enough, all of humanity, to come and make it possible for us to go with him to his kingdom. Father God, I give thanks uh, for this encounter. God, it's uh, sad at best... uh, A pilot walked away thinking he could wash his hands of truth, walk away uh, washing his hands of his encounter with Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just pray that uh, if there is one, if not more, that are in this place and have not received truth, the truth, have not received Jesus, God, that their hearts would be so open to you in this moment to invite the truth, to invite Jesus to come in. If that is you, and if it's just one person, if not more, let that be your prayer right now where you sit. Jesus, I receive you as king, as my king, as the truth. God, I give thanks that uh, as we receive you, Jesus, as king, as savior, as Lord, as truth, that you bring us into your family as sons and daughters, kids of the king, that you set us free from living lives that just jump from lie to lie to lie, and that your truth, Jesus, just shapes who we are and how we live. God, for those here that have received, embraced, confessed you, Jesus, as truth, give us grace to follow you well. Jesus, please give us grace to love you well. And Jesus, please give us courage to speak of you, the truth. As you uh, just spend some time uh, preparing just to continue in worship through song, uh, if you're a Christian, uh, come celebrate communion today. Uh, Spend maybe just an extra few moments. uh, We've got four tables up here. Uh, Just spend an extra few moments, and if it's helpful, keep your eyes on the cross and just say, Jesus, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming for me. Thanks for being the one who will take me into the kingdom, not on my own merit, but because my hand's in yours. If you're a Christian, come celebrate communion and give thanks uh, for what Jesus has done. And if you're not a Christian, I would implore you, receive the truth, that Jesus is truth, the only truth. Receive them today and come and celebrate communion.